What is going on, Cultivate family? I hope you are having an awesome day. Aubrey is currently barking along to this in the background, but hopefully you can't hear it. And if you do, then you just get an example of the sass that I have to live with every day. Anyways, it has been a really up and down week for me this week. However, I did start testosterone yesterday and that made me very happy. And I wrote a substack about it, so I'm not gonna go into it because some of you may have already read that. But I'm feeling good about it and it's been a long time coming. Now, whatever platform you're listening to this on, I wanna ask you a little bit of a favor because the majority of you that listen to this podcast don't follow it haven't rated it or haven't subscribed to it so wherever you are if you've got a couple of seconds i would massively appreciate you giving it a rating or a review or just subscribing because as i've been saying for the last few weeks we've got work to do we've got to reach a lot of queer people we've got to help more with the health and fitness so do that little thing for me and let's get into the episode today i have the awesome penny Varvarides for you they are a strength and flexibility coach they were also one of the coaches that I reached out to when I got offered the job at Pure Gym because I was very nervous about working in a commercial gym as a non-binary person. And ever since, we've exchanged a few words, but I thought it was time that we get them on here because they are neurodiverse, they are hypermobile, they are strong and flexible as hell, and they are so knowledgeable about all of this stuff, and I think you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is Penny Valverides on the Cultivate podcast. Let's get it. I'm a strength and flexibility coach, which basically means that I'm a personal trainer who focuses on strength training and flexibility training. I've been peating for probably, I don't know, eight-ish years, I reckon. And throughout that time... I've worked with lots of different types of people, but mostly people who want to be stronger or want to be more bendy or who are already really bendy and want to be strong enough that they stop getting hurt. I personally am hypermobile. So I found throughout my life that I just got hurt a bunch all of the time. And I went to see various different people like physios, personal trainers, like gym instructors, class instructors, whatever. And everyone just gave me terrible advice. And I didn't always know that it was terrible advice. And then I would just get more hurt. So when I realized that I was hypermobile, I just started trying to figure out how to fix myself and not be in pain all the time. And then the more I learned and the more good I got at those sorts of things, the more I ended up with clients who were also hypermobile people who have also been given terrible advice for most of their lives. (laughs) people who didn't know what they were talking about so that's mostly what I do now this is why I asked you on the podcast and this is what I was hoping you would want to talk about when I asked you um now for everyone that might be listening to this that doesn't know what hypermobility is could you give us a brief rundown sure so basically hypermobility is when your joints are more mobile than they're supposed to be And there's like a scale of it. So some people can be hypermobile without it necessarily being a disability or a disorder. And for some people, it is a disability and it's like a real struggle to do loads of things and ends up resulting in not just like pain and injury, but like chronic fatigue as well. I'm kind of at this end where I'm more bendy than strong, um, but without any like official diagnosis for it. And often people who 
are more bendy than strong will just end up getting hurt a lot because their joints aren't very good at controlling themselves and they end up flailing around or just kind of like crumbling in different scenarios. Um, before I started strength training, I think I sprained my ankle probably like five times in the space of like <laughs> a lot. five years, which is outrageous. And one of those times was so bad that I ended up in a wheelchair for six weeks, mostly because I wasn't strong enough to like use the crutches. So I couldn't do the crutches. So I just ended up in a wheelchair. And that really taught me a lot of things because London was not built for wheelchairs. It isn't, is it? it just n- not an accessible place. So I really learned a lot of things about the world, I think, during those six weeks. But since strength training, I get hurt way less. And if I do like roll my ankle, it doesn't result in six weeks of me not being able to walk anymore. Normally it's like, oh, that was a bit scary. But then actually it's fine, which is wild because that's what ankles are supposed to do. But that's never what my ankles did before. 100%. And you've been, so you've been PTing for about eight years. At what point in your life did you learn that you were hypermobile? What was the journey into finding that out? I'd always had like knee problems and like ankle problems but I just didn't ever really know why and I was doing I used to be a journalist and at the beginning of PT and I was still a journalist I mean I guess I'm still a journalist now I just don't write very often but I I used to do it full-time um and I went and did like this one-to-one yoga session with this yoga instructor and I was just kind of kind of writing about her and her yoga and I'm doing a forward fold and she's like, stop locking your knees. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um, and then in that session, that was when I learned that I was hypermobile and that I kept hyperextending loads of different joints. And she was like, you know, this is probably related to why all of these joints hurt all the time. I was like, oh gosh, what do I do with this information? <laughs> uh, so then that started me trying to figure out what to do with that information, you know? Yeah. So the yoga teacher helped you realize, well, spotted it, essentially. Um, So what did you do with that information? What what happened next? So it was kind of a slow process because I guess also along the way, I was like a beginner PT and there was all of the like, I guess I want to say pressure, but I feel like it was more inside of me than it was outside. But to like be good really quickly. Oh yeah, I relate to that. And I'd... I'd not come from a gym background. I'd come from like a martial arts background. So I'd never actually really lifted weights before. And I also had just got a job teaching like this running club. One thing I learned growing up was if anyone asks you if you can do something, you just say yes, even if you can't. And then you figure it out. So I said yes, I got this job and I had to run, but I couldn't run. I was not a runner. So then I also had to like be able to run in a really small amount of time. So in my little brain, I was like, cool, the solution to this is to run all of the time (laughs) and to also lift all of the weights all of the time so I can just get really good at everything really quickly. But that was not smart. And then amongst this uh, terrible plan, I I got asked by New Balance if I wanted to run the New York Marathon. So I said yes, obviously. (laughs) Why wouldn't you? Exactly. So then I'm also training for the New York Marathon. Now my knees hurt. I keep training for the New York Marathon. I'm like, when am I ever going to get a free trip to New York? And like, 
a whole year's worth of supply of New Balance stuff. Cool. I'll just do it. So then along the way, I'm like, okay, I know I'm hypermobile. My knees are really hurting. I don't know what to do with this information. So I got stuck going to see different people. And like some of the people I went to see were terrible. Like I went and saw this guy. I don't remember if this was during that time or if this was a, a bit before. I went to see this physio and he was like, oh yeah, your joints are really lax. The reason for that, this must have been before, before I knew I was hypermobile. He goes, the reason that your joints are so lax is because you've got too much estrogen. And that's also the reason that you're fat. So you need to stop eating soy and start taking bee pollen because it's testosterone genic. And I was like, that sounds weird. But okay, excellent. I'll go to Holland and Barrett and buy these random expensive things. Side note, that's obviously not that's not how hypermobility works and also not how soy and bee pollen work for anyone listening. My jaw is on the floor for anyone listening right now. It's not outrageous. Outrageous. So, Wild. so I saw lots of people like that, you know, who were not good at the thing they were saying they were good at. Surprise, surprise. Or the service that they were providing. So I continue. I go and see like an osteopath. And he's like doing loads of manual stuff and like taping my knees. And he's like, you know, you should probably just stop running. I'm like, yeah, that's not an option. I just need my knees to work better. And then I start like finding different things. And then I'm like, okay, maybe there's a way that I can figure this out better. So then I start like scouring PubMed to see if there are any articles that might be of use. And then like searching the internet for people who like know about knees or hypermobility. Not many people know about hypermobility, so it's like really annoying. But along with, I guess, the rest of the world, I found the knees over toes guy, Ben. I think that must have been 2017, maybe. And I was like, okay, maybe I can learn some things from this guy. And then it was just basically that over and over again, trialing and error, talking to different people and being like, that doesn't sound right. Or talking to other people and be like, oh, that makes good sense. And it was just lots of that slowly, slowly until I was able to sort myself out. And then I ran the York Marathon and it was terrible and it really hurt. And then I spent the next year fixing my knees. And then during that process of fixing my knees, I firstly got really good at fixing knees. <laughs> but then also I think my understanding of like just joints in general improved and how strength training and mobility training and flexibility and all of that kind of works together to build joints that joint good so that you don't keep getting hurt. Yeah. So how did that marathon pan out in the end? How did it feel? Did you manage to finish it? Yeah, I finished it. It took about five hours, maybe five and a half hours. I don't know. It was a really long time. The first half was fine. In my training, though, I only ra- I only trained up to a half marathon distance because I was like, running hurts, so I don't want to do too much of it. So I'm just going to hope for the best. So then the first half was fine. And then I just got slower and slower and slower and slower. And I think for the like, last four miles, I was really regretting all of my life choices. But it was in New York, and Americans are like full of energy. <laughs> Every time I stopped, someone would like come out of the crowd and be like, no, you got this, and then just start running with me. I hate that. I'd be like, oh my God, okay. And they're like, come on, I'll, I'll keep going with you. And then people would be like clapping and cheering. I'm like, okay, I'm embarrassed, but this is helpful, I think. So thanks. Fair play. But I I absolutely have no intention of ever running a marathon again. I, I'm not surprised after that experience, especially um, 
with trying to lift weights and do all the things at the same time, what what was like the repercussions of you running that on knees that weren't kneeing so good? It was terrible. I like tore my patella tendon, really sprained the other one. It was like a whole year of me trying to fix it for a really long period of time. It would hurt so bad to walk downstairs that I would just be crying. Like we went to the Amalfi Coast for my birthday, which is where they filmed all the Themyscira scenes from Wonder Woman. Okay. And like, I love Wonder Woman, more the comic rather than the film, but the film was the best that I was going to get. And I was like, cool, I want to go to Themyscira. So we go to the Amalfi Coast and we do the Walk of the Gods. So there's this walk, it's called the Walk of the Gods. It's only five kilometers. It's very easy. It's mostly flat, but there's like a mile of up and then a mile of down. But the bit in the middle is flat and it's beautiful. If you're ever in the Amalfi Coast, you should go do it. It's very nice. But walking down those stairs, I'm like holding onto the side just crying, being overtaken by like 70 year olds walking down the stairs, holding on for dear life, just crying. I'm like, that was stupid, wasn't it? I should probably really stop doing such stupid things. But it's fine now. Now every time I go hiking and, and I go down big stairs or big hills and I'm fine, I'm like, yeah, remember when this used to make you cry? It's cool, isn't it? Because now I can just do it. And I think because I, I was so annoyed, by how much I basically fucked myself from making poor choices that I really hyper-focused on knee strength. And now my knees can do all sorts of cool things. And that's awesome. And like totally outrageous because if you had shown 2017 Penny a video of 2023 Penny doing like a sissy squat and be like, your knees are going to be able to do this one day, I would have been like, no. What magic is that? That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. We really really take for granted being like pain-free and mobile until we are not either. And then when you are back to being pain-free and mobile, if you are, it's then just constant gratitude every time you do something that you weren't able to do. I suppose similar to like your fitness level and lifting weights in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. I think being able to look at the stuff that you can do with that sort of, I don't know, viewpoint it's so useful like today at least three of my clients this morning were like telling me stories about a cool thing that they've done this week that they wouldn't have been able to do before with like such joy on their faces I'm like yeah that's the coolest thing to just be able to do stuff that you couldn't do before it's nice 100% am I am I sort of right in saying there's not like there's not like a specific course of treatment or action for hypermobility as well because it exists on that spectrum so am I right in saying that just everybody's way of living with it is going to be completely different and maybe is that why there's so much like misadvice out there so I think probably one of the reasons that there's so much misadvice is that for the most part the majority of people who are hypermobile are either women or queer and because that demographic is generally ignored by medicine Nobody cares. I think that's the main reason, to be honest, because I think if cis men had a higher proportion of people who were hypermobile, someone would go, oh, that's not good. His ankle keeps being sprained every time he goes for a casual walk down the street. That's not normal. That shouldn't happen. Let's figure out what to do about it. I think generally the the way to treat it or like manage it is to get really strong, not like powerlifter strong, but strong through your full range. Now, obviously with powerlifting, it's about like absolute strength, but through the smallest amount of range that you can get away with, right? Like if you think of what a powerlifting squat looks like, 
very wide feet going just to parallel. The more wide, the less low down you have yeah. to go. It's the same with the bench. The more wide your hands are, the less you have to do it. The bigger your arch, the less you have to do it. To be able to build joints that joint good, you need to take them through their full range of motion. Now, what that actually is, is going to be dependent on different people. Like different people's full range of motion is going to be different. But you should be going through that full range that you can go through in different directions and different positions and then starting to load it. And often what happens, I think, when people are hypermobile, particularly if they go to like a class environment, they'll go, they'll start doing stuff. They'll be like, oh, this hurts. And then the instructor will be like, don't do it or do something else or do it anyway. None of that is very helpful. So then they're like, okay, exercise isn't for me because it just causes me pain. This isn't helpful. So then they do less things. They're like, at least if I'm not doing things, then I'm not in pain. But then the less things that they do, then the more pain that ends up happening when they do something else. So you need to keep doing stuff. So you need to find a way where you can like be doing stuff and building strength in small, tiny increments through your full range so that when you do end up in weird positions, you're okay, but also just so that you're able to hold yourself in the day better because there's huge crossover between like being hypermobile and having chronic fatigue and I think one of the reasons I don't have any science for this this is just my theory I think one of the reasons is that people who are not hypermobile can just stand in their joints right you can just be standing and you can like lock your legs and you can like sit in your hip and then you're resting because your muscles aren't doing anything anymore your your bones are holding you but hypermobile people worry about doing that because if they spend too much time in that position like the backs of their knees hurt their hip feels like it might fall out so they avoid it so every time they feel themselves going into that what would be a rest position they pop themselves out and everyone around them says yeah don't stand in there if you feel it pop yourself out so then you're constantly in like an active position because now you're holding yourself your muscles are having to work all day all day so then you're tired and then most people are like oh well chronic fatigue isn't a real thing just do stuff, stop being so lazy or whatever. So then it makes it scary to go into environments that are fitness environments because people like just try harder and that's not helpful. And what those people need is to learn, firstly, yeah, don't be pushing into where it hurts, sure. But also, how do, how do you go into your end range, where your end range is, in a way where you are controlling it and you are getting strong and it's not hurting? Because you can't stop yourself for the rest of your life from using your full range. What you need is to learn how to do it safely and to be strong in those positions. But also, the more muscle mass you build, often what happens is it becomes harder to accidentally end up in those hyperextended positions anyway. Like if someone's elbow hyperextends, if they build like massive biceps and massive triceps, there stops being as much room to hyperextend anyway. So it happens less accidentally than it was happening before. But also if you practice doing your like bicep curls to your full range, whatever that might be, maybe in like an incline where you're going the whole way down and you're coming the whole way back up, you're building strength through the full range. You're building strength through your tendons as well. Because by going into those end ranges, you're challenging your tendons in ways that you don't get to do if you're just doing like half reps. And then if you do that for the rest of your life, at some point along the way, your joints, hopefully, in theory, hurt less. And if you do hurt yourself, the recovery is much smaller than it was before. Yeah. Love that theory. Um, I have I have a question based on one of the things you said earlier. Um, why are cisgender men not as hypermobile? 
I don't know the answer no to that. No research. We don't know. Interesting, though, isn't it? Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know the why. I just know that, like, in the statistics, way more females than males are hypermobile. And that's not that they, that cis men don't get hypermobile, because I've had loads of hypermobile cis yeah. men clients as well. It's just less, it's just less. I don't know. I wonder if it's to do with, and, like, the muscle mass or anything. Like, maybe. But it could be that. Again, this is just me. I don't have any science. But it seems plausible. If we know that the more muscle mass you have, the harder it is to like accidentally hyperextend, then people who just have more muscle mass are less likely to be hyperextending all the time. I don't know. I think there's like links to menstrual cycles as well. Like I, I know a lot of people who in like the few days leading up to their periods and then the first few days of their periods they are just extra bendy, which is probably why that physio before decided to blame estrogen, uh, even though... Not eating soy. <laughs> not eating soy, yeah. Like, he probably heard that and was like, this is the obvious next step. <laughs> but I don't know if it's the obvious next step. But, so yeah, like, I don't know. And I found when I was getting... When I was spraining things all the time, almost all the time that I've got hurt in my whole entire life, it was the week before my period started, almost every single time. That's so interesting. So there has to be something in that too. But maybe maybe it's got nothing to do with that. Maybe I'm just paying less attention that week. I don't know. Is it a coincidence? Is it not a coincidence? Is is like the changes to your body during your cycle bringing more awareness to your body so you're just more aware? Or is it related? Yeah, um, I would love to. No idea. I would love to have more research on that to read. Um, that's making my brain tick. If someone's listening to this and they they aren't sure, how can how can someone tell? How can someone know if they're hypermobile? What what do we look out for? If when you're doing stuff, your joints feel weird, I guess first step would be to film yourself doing stuff. And then if while you're watching the video, like look at the joint that feels weird and see if it looks like it's going more far than it's supposed yep. to, or that looks like what straight is. I think if your joints are hurting all of the time and you feel like your hips are going to pop out and that you're always tired, you should probably go see the doctor because you can get tests done, like proper tests to see if it's something more serious. Because if you're always tired, that's not normal. Like, I mean, it's common, but it's not, it's not normal and you should go and talk to the doctor. And obviously that's a nightmare because you go and tell the doctor that you're tired all the time and they just tell you to sleep and it takes years because nobody ever listens to us. But I don't know, maybe take your mum with you or like a designated scary An person. Advocate, yeah. Yeah. 100%. All the fighting I had to do for endometriosis, diagnosis and surgery. And I think a lot of the time they'll be like, oh, just go out, get some fresh air. Someone on a crisis line once told me to play guitar more. I was just like, I'm reading the crisis line. This is the this is the low point of my life, and you just tell me to play guitar. How unhelpful! Advocating for yourself um, for for any sort of chronic pain or fatigue is really really hard, and it seems like a lot of the time, especially non male people, will get discriminated against due to things like BMI and just putting it down to random things that maybe are not the case when people know their body and know that there's something wrong. No, it's very annoying. When I was trying to sort my knee out, initially I got sent to this physio 
and she did like an ultrasound and then she was like asking me what I was doing and then I told her what my job was and then she discharges me she's like yeah you're fucked and then she discharges me and then she sends a letter to my doctor being like Penny needs to stop squatting and running squatting and running is what has caused this damage to their knee and I've told them to stop squatting and running I've now discharged them and I was like I can't stop. I literally get paid to do both of those things. Who's going to pay me to sit at home and not do those things? They, they, I, that's my job. What, what do you mean? So I went back to the doctor and I took my mum. And I thought, how old? I must have been like 26, 27. Penny's mum enters the well, doctor's office. Taking your mum with you. Not her. And I go in and I take my mum and she sits down next to me. And she's like, no, Penny needs to go to this doctor at this hospital. And my GP's like... No, but we've sent Penny to this hospital. She's like, no, we are not leaving until you do a referral for this doctor at this hospital. And the GP was like, okay, that's <laughs> cool. And then because she did that and because she's scary, like my mom is scary, and the doctor just said, okay, no one ever just says okay to me. I got to go see this proper knee specialist. And then when he sent me to his physio, it was a sports physio. And then I got an actual sports physio for a year. And they're not going to tell you to stop squatting and running, are they? No. I was like, my job, I didn't tell her I was running the marathon, though I thought she was going to tell me off. I'd already been traumatized. So I just told her that I did the running group and that I was a PT. So I was in the gym doing classes. And was I still doing classes then? Maybe I'd stop doing classes. Anyway, I don't know. She didn't tell me to stop exercising. And then she took, maybe this is actually where I learned most of my things from thinking about it. I'd forgotten about her earlier. But yeah, like I saw her every once a month for like almost 12 months, maybe 12 months. And she would just give me different exercises to do. And then when I was like, cool, let's make it harder. I need to be able to do all the things. She was like, cool. Whereas usually NHS physios are like, you can walk, you're fine, you're free. It's like, no, no, I, I need more than just to be able to walk. What I need is to be able to do a full depth squat and also run. Those, that's what we're aiming for. If you are allergic to some food, no one's going to tell you to stop eating. They're just going to be like, just drink, just drink, don't eat. And it's not quite the same, but it also kind of is the same. And I don't know about you, but in terms of like medical biases, going into a GP's and telling them you're a PT, you get treated a little bit better <laughs> because they'll be like, oh yeah, so you eat really well and you move really well, so it's not any of those things. But like when it's someone that isn't a PT, they'll be like, oh, are you eating? Are you moving? And maybe you are doing all of those things. It's hard. We all maybe just need your mum to come to the doctors with us. Um, is she available? <laughs> she, yeah, she, doctors just do what she tells them. She's got a real good stern voice. I think I'm just too soft. And I think I'm getting better. I'm like I'm I'm old. I'm like 35 now. I should really have mastered this, but I haven't quite I haven't quite done it yet. But I'm getting a little bit better. Cause usually every time I try and stand up to my, for myself to a doctor, I just start crying. And that's not helpful. Yeah, I had a little cry in the nurse's office a few weeks ago. And like to be fair, she really tried. It was to do with Jeff to stop. <laughs> But yeah, it's it is hard because like you know your body and you know you maybe you are asking for something that you need and someone is telling you no. It's so annoying, especially I think because because of all the like ideas of women are hysterical, they don't know their bodies. So then I go in and I'm like, this is a thing that I am struggling with and 
I'm in a lot of pain. Like, I went and saw one doctor once. This was even a woman doctor, right? And I go and I'm like, my periods hurt an above average amount. This is not normal. I am not okay. And she was like, yeah, but periods are supposed to hurt. Uh, and that was it. And she sent me away. And I was like, that's not right. It's not right. Yeah, it makes you wonder if it's like the the way that they've moved through the medical system with the lack of resources, especially in the UK. It makes you think like, do they pass more of these things off these days because they know that they just can't support it? So it's better to tell someone that they're fine. God, how annoying. Yeah, we've we gone off at a bit of a tangent, but I think it was, I think it's a very valid one. 90% of the people that listen to this podcast are like trans or non-binary. So we'll have all probably experienced the similar things that we have. Um, one question that I don't know if you've got the answer to. Go Do on. you think there is a link between neurodiversity and being hypermobile? So there is actually research in this. With autism and hypermobility, if you're autistic, you're seven times more likely to be hypermobile. And then with ADHD and hypermobility, I think it was six times more likely to be hypermobile or the other way around. Huge crossover. And we don't know why. Some theories that I've seen is, at least for autism, because the research around ADHD is constantly changing. And I've seen lots of things recently that are like, it's not actually a neurotype and it's a trauma response and people aren't actually born with ADHD the same way that people are born with like autism or dyslexia. But with autism, some of the things that I've seen is like the elasticity of your like skin and your tendons and your ligaments and stuff maybe your brain is just also kind of elasticy and maybe that neurotype maybe that's like that same elasticity is what's making both things happen which is kind of interesting yeah that is interesting because um mj from queer movement came on here to talk about movement and neurodiversity a few episodes ago and they had a whole theory about neurodiversity relating to gender and being genderqueer and being trans and existing more on a spectrum and then you like throw hypermobility into that and that's a little bit of a mind fuck in a sense it's like that all there's a triangle of something there so with queerness specifically transness i think and autism one of the theories as to why there's such high overlap there is because autistic people are just less likely to conform to societal pressure and societal rules than a neurotypical person is so i think what that says isn't that autistic people are more likely to be trans but just that autistic people are more likely to live as their authentic trans selves and neurotypical people will just hold it in for longer because breaking the rules is too scary and they don't know how to do it even though it even though looking at it it looks like neurodivergent people are more likely to be trans people. I think it's more just that neurodivergent people, specifically autistic people, are less likely to want to hide for their whole entire lives because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not log- It's not really logical um, and societal pressures and norms don't necessarily come into that, do they? Yeah, and I think when you're, when you're a neurodivergent person, the, the rules make less sense so your willingness to force yourself to exist within them when that causes you distress is just less yeah that's that's how i've always thought about it for me because it would be very much like i don't want to do that that doesn't make sense i'm going to do all these things that make sense all of the time (laughs) i'm going to fixate on them forever (laughs) 
Let's talk about training for strength and flexibility in relation to hypermobility, but also just for life for people that are not hypermobile. Can you be strong and can you be flexible at the same time? Absolutely. It results in a body that can do some really cool, cool things. I think our modern ideas of strength training have really been formed from like bodybuilding and powerlifting mostly. In both cases, like range of motion is less important, especially for powerlifting like we were talking about before, but also like variety of movement is quite limited because like with powerlifting, you have three moves and then maybe you have like some other moves that you do to be better at those three moves. And then in bodybuilding, you just pick the most efficient way to like build each muscle. So then it's all about isolating each muscle to like be the most efficient at building muscle. And in both of those instances, your ability to move doesn't matter. But if you were to look outside of that at like gymnastics or circus, you see people who are really fucking strong, who are also really flexible. And you're like, oh, look at all the cool things you could do when you get to do both. And I think for normal people who aren't like dreaming of doing some really like cool feats of strength and flexibility, for normal people, what that manifests as is like you being able to put your own suitcase in the overhead compartment or you being able to like walk down really steep rocks on a climb or like scramble up really steep rocks if you're hiking or like if you play sport and you're the goalie and it's really far away, if you manage to like slide really far into the splits and save it and then like get up and keep moving. Like, I don't know if you watch tennis, but watching Wimbledon whenever that was a few months ago July. I don't know We're basically doing the splits side to side doing like these really long Cossack yeah. squats and like sliding so far and their adopters must be so strong and so flexible these are people who can probably do the splits and they're just like stepping out of it and going again really fast that's cool it's just really cool and it if you can do stuff like that like if if you can be strong in your end ranges then the chance of you doing like a weird thing that results in you getting hurt is less. Like a lot of people who have, who have come to me for PT have like usually hurt themselves doing something. Like one of my old clients had hurt his back because his nephew fell off a wall and he like twisted and caught him before he hit the floor. And because of that like weird motion of like catching this little kid, he like his back went. So then we did loads of stuff to like make his back strong to the point that he could be in this weird, twisty, bent over position, holding 50 kilos and his back wouldn't hurt. So then the next time his little nephew jumps off something and he has to catch him, he's probably going to be fine. And I think that's where strength and flexibility becomes like useful and important for normal people. Because most of the time, if someone's going to hurt themselves, it's doing something weird, like moving a sofa, catching a kid, something that was just Outside of what your normal movement was. Quick reaction, dropping a glass, reaching for it, tweaking your back, your hip. Exactly. Those are the situations usually where someone ends up hurting themselves. So if you can be really strong in all of these positions, you end up becoming really confident in your body and in your ability to do stuff. And then with that, with that confidence and that strength and that flexibility comes more fun stuff. Because then someone can be like, hey, do you want to try this random thing? 
and where maybe you used to be like, no, that looks dangerous and scary and I'm going to break myself, you'll go, I can probably do that. And then you do it and then you have a really nice time. You're like, gosh, who knew I could do that? That's cool. That wasn't possible before. And I think that's why I think everyone should train both. And I think training both doesn't have to be complicated or laborious and I think they can go together really really nicely and you you're doing all sorts of cool shit now are you doing are you doing like aerial now yeah I've taken trapeze up which is yeah I think comes under the aerial umbrella I've only been doing it for a couple of months but it's so much fun it's a cool social hobby and the need for active social hobbies that aren't just like going to the gym or you know stuff that you can show up like you know going climbing like people going to do like Ninja Warrior or Crystal Maze with their mates or like people going to like pole or aerial or trapeze, stuff like that. It's a really nice way to move your body that isn't very conventional, but it's like fun and interesting and stimulating. And that could be amazing for so many people that don't really like get on with the gym that much. And I think that's so important because everyone has this idea of what fitness is, right? But it's so much more than what most people can imagine. And doing something like that, where being bendy and being strong make it more fun, I think then can inspire you to be like, maybe I should also go to the gym. Maybe I should also practice my splits or whatever just so that then I can get into these positions more easily and I can make more pretty shapes. And then, because it's just really fun. And people don't give fun enough. Like, I feel like most people feel like they're supposed to force themselves into exercise. Like it's this, this thing that they have to like trudge through because, I don't know, aesthetics or health or whatever. But for exercise to have lasting benefit, you have to keep doing it from now until the rest of your life. You have to keep showing up every day for the rest of your life until you die and do something. Whether that's going to the gym or playing trapeze or like playing catch with your friends, whatever. Because when you stop, that's when your body starts to like age and fall apart. And then you're like, oh, I'm too old to do things. But not if you don't stop doing the things, then you don't get too old to do things. You just keep doing things. And if you can make it fun, then you're more likely to want to keep coming back and doing things. And I don't know if this is just because I've got ADHD and this is my approach to everything. But I feel like this is good advice for other people too. If you just like do things that you like, then you'll want to do more of them. And there are certain types of exercise. You're going to like something. Yeah, this is this is what I try and really hammer home when I have a lot of conversations with my clients. I'll be like, did you enjoy it? And they'll be like, what? I'll be like, did you enjoy your session? I'll be like, I don't know. And I was like, but I want to know because I want to program something that you look forward to and think is fun because... Yes, you are exercising for like long-term health or to like complement a sport that you want to do, but that doesn't mean that it has to be like dull or tedious. And again, may just be an ADHD thing that everything feels a little bit like a game and it's fun to make things like a game. But as adults, we don't play. We don't play a lot. And a gym is literally a playground. (laughs) Like it is an adult playground. And, you know, you remember when you were a kid, like there might be a climbing frame and you're like, oh, I'm not going to just like go up the stairs and go down the slide. I'm going to like try and climb on top of the roof and then like do like all the slightly risky things that you're not, it's not designed to do, but you're going to do it because it's fun and it's like stimulating. And I just, I think like there's so much to be said for like just doing something that you like. And 
you know, at the point where you found your strength and flexibility work in the gym and then you're going out and you're doing stuff outside of that, that you find really fun. I mean, obviously that helps as a PT because we spend all our life in gyms. It's nice to get out. (laughs) But for the most part, just the trying and the failing and being prepared to fail or being prepared to not get on with something. I think sometimes people might be scared to try something because what if they don't like it? But when we reframe that, it's like, yeah, if you don't like it, you never have to do it again. Exactly. And I think there are just so many things. If you can find something where like you do a thing and you're like, that was cool. Why should you not just want to keep doing it until it's not fun anymore? And I mean, so this is my approach to everything, which is why I'm doing so many things. Like if you follow me on, on Instagram, You'll see, I, I, I train a lot of different styles of stuff in the gym and then like have a lot of hobbies, I suppose. And like, that's not the best way to get good at anything. Like if you, if you want to be really good at something, you do kind of just have to keep doing that thing. But that's boring. And I'm not an elite athlete, so it doesn't actually matter at all, really. I don't need to be good at anything. I just need to be good enough that I can enjoy it. And like playing around with different shapes, they all end up feeding into each other. So like all of the stuff that I've been doing with like my normal strength and flexibility training from like, I don't know, squatting and pull-ups and then old school strongman stuff and then weightlifting and then like splits training. All of that has come together to me doing trapeze in a beginner's class. I'm a beginner. I'm not very good at it, but I'm above nothing. And it's meant that the teacher can show me a thing and I can do it. Like it doesn't look as pretty as when she does it. I can do it and that is enough to make it the most fun thing ever and make me feel like I'm really getting something out of it whereas I think if I couldn't do it at all it would probably be really annoying like if I couldn't even like pull myself up to get onto the thing I think that would probably be really annoying and I don't know if I would be having as much fun but maybe that would just inspire me to get strong enough that I could pull myself up and then you've like won twice because then you like got bonus skills and I sh- hope that's what happens to other people when they can't pull themselves up. Because I've totally been inspired to do more ab training. Because I did not train abs enough. And that is something I have really learned from doing aerial. Yeah, I feel like everybody can find abs a little boring sometimes. But then you have definitely done some cool posts about interesting and fun ways that you can train your abs without just like fucking planking or doing crunches. Yeah, people think core is planking and sit-ups and it doesn't have to be at all no and i really find that if you can make make something so hard that you can only do one rep of it then it is immediately more fun because i could probably do 100 sit-ups but i don't know if i have the mental capacity to do 100 sit-ups in a row but i could do a bunch of sit-ups with a 25 kilo bar over my head and that's not 100 sure but much cooler. So this brings me very nicely onto the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is that with flexibility training, a lot of times people think that relates to just doing stretching with your body weight. And there is a bit of a myth that like, well, is it a myth? You'll bust it for me. But a lot of people will think doing a loaded stretch that involves weights or flexibility training that involves load is dangerous. I mean, it's not, but Things are only as dangerous as you make them right. If if you take someone who has never squatted anything and you put 100 kilos on their back and tell them to squat it, that's stupid, probably dangerous. Yep. But if you give someone who can squat 90 kilos a bar and put 100 kilos on it, it's not dangerous anymore. It's just the next bit. 
So when you're doing your flexibility stuff, making sure that you're not going from like nothing to a hundred out of nowhere, the same as you wouldn't go from nothing to a marathon out of nowhere. Unless you're you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was... <laughs> so like, I really, really love a loaded stretch. And there are so many ways that you can do it. I don't know. Say you're doing a hamstring stretch, right? And you put your leg up on a surface and you're bending over to get a hamstring stretch. Cool. Awesome. Or you can hold something underneath, like in your hands, under your leg and allow that weight to like pull you deeper into your stretch. And then you've got further than you were going before. And every time you come up, you're also getting some strength gains because you're using all of those muscles to like hinge your way back up and roll your way back up. And then you're going back down again. And now it's very efficient because you're doing a couple of things at the same time, making it more interesting and you're getting more of a stretch. And knowing when to use assistive stuff, whether that's like yoga blocks or straps or weights or like bands or whatever to help you, I think is really important because if all, all you ever do is stretch just body weight without any stuff and you're like, okay, I'll just stay here for 30 seconds and your flexibility is never going to get any better. And if you try and stay for longer, but without any of the like assistant stuff to help hold you in your position, you're just going to like rotate into a position that feels more comfortable when you see people doing it all the time especially with something like pigeon where people will like sit in their pigeon for ages and like oh this is so nice but they've like rotated so much that they're in a relaxing place and they're not doing any of the things that they would have been doing if they were being more intentional with their pigeon shape and i think that's where using stuff really comes in and becomes really useful and it's only going to be dangerous if you're doing something that's like outrageous but if you just treat your flexibility training the same way that you treat your strength training, because strength training and flexibility training, they're the same thing. It's the same thing. And it, you just have to treat it the same. So you, you just progressively overload slowly over time. And with your flexibility training, that can either look like going deeper or holding something more heavy or like using stuff to move into different positions. And with things like old school strongman shapes, like lots of that requires a lot of flexibility, particularly like rotation, which I really love. And doing stuff like that allows you to work on your flexibility whilst also getting really, really strong. And you'll find that these things kind of link together. So an example, I guess, could be like if you wanted to work on both your sumo deadlifts and also your side splits, for instance. You could like do some seated good mornings, some like horse stance squats, some like adductor things, maybe a, some Copenhagen planks, whatever, warming up for your deadlifts, do a bunch of really heavy sumo deadlifts and then finish with like some side split stuff, maybe some like banded upside down side splits, pulling you deeper, maybe just getting some stuff underneath your thighs and sitting in your side split, maybe doing some side split push-ups. And then the things kind of progress. And then maybe by the end of the session, you're sitting in your splits and you're like, hey, cool. I lifted 100 kilos today and did the splits. That's cool. And knowing how to like put stuff together like that, where each thing is helping the next thing. Because you wouldn't want to do like your splits and then try and do your deadlift because then your hips are going to be like, what the heck? Yeah. So the actual process of mapping out a, a session where you would train for both strength and flexibility, a format that you would say is like warm up, make the warm up relevant, do your big strength lifts, then accessories, flexibility, that kind of that kind of flavor. Is that how you would recommend best structuring something like that if someone was wanting to train for both? 
Yeah, I think that order of things makes the most sense. And if someone's hypermobile, would they approach that exactly the same? Would there be anything you would do different? So I think when you're hypermobile, the main thing is spending time on like joint mobility stuff is going to be really valuable because it's going to start to teach you kind of those proprioception skills around your edges that are really useful. And I would spend a bit less time on like stretching to begin with whilst you build strength in those end ranges. Because what I found when I started doing more flexibility stuff before I had, I guess, the understanding of like controlling my joints better was I just kept making my hips feel weird because I would just sit in the front splits and be like, oh, cool, completed it. And then my hips would feel weird. And I was like, oh, something's not right. So then what I personally did was took, I don't know, maybe six months off stretching at all and focused really hard on building strength and proprioception and like controlling those end ranges and like understanding how to like internally and externally rotate my hip like my leg inside the socket like doing the same thing in my shoulders and then once that made sense reintroducing the stretching where hopefully if you've done that you can get to a point where you start to understand the difference of what it feels like when you're stretching a muscle versus when you're just tugging on your tendons because that's the danger I think when hypermobile people do flexibility stuff and it's I think a bit of a problem when people do yoga, because a lot of the time hypermobile people will go to yoga because it feels like you're good at it because you can make the pretty shapes. But if you just tug on your tendons and on your ligaments, then your joints feel weird, but you haven't necessarily got more flexible because you haven't figured out how to like focus the stretch in your muscles. So to do that just takes some real intentionality and like scaling it back. And again, that's where having assistive tools is really useful. Like if you're in positions using yoga blocks or straps or like bolsters to like take you away from max so you can get to a place where you can feel the difference and focus more on stretching the muscles. Because then once you've got that understanding and you've built some strength around those edges, then you can start pushing it further down and then you can do really cool things, which are harder to do if you kind of skip the first bit. Yeah, so taking some extra care and attention to building strength before you try and go really hard on the flexibility stuff if you're hypermobile. Yeah, okay, so let me summarize. Focus on joint mobility. Get really good at like joint cars. So like moving your joint in all of the directions. Use assistive stuff so that when you're stretching, you're not always going to 100%. Rein it in, maybe go 70, 80%. Use stuff to hold you so you can stay there for longer so you can feel what it feels like when it's your muscle stretching and not just your joints. And then focus on whenever you're doing your strength training, going through the full range that you can control where you're able to like control it well and you're not really jolty and weird and flailing around. If you're flailing around, probably just make it a bit lighter. Amazing, that's Great advice. Now, my final little question on hypermobility. I get a lot of comments on my TikToks. Can I do this if I'm hypermobile? So I might be, I might be doing some movement in the gym, or maybe it's a gym montage, or maybe I'm talking about like my superhuman plan, which is like an app subscription. Um, a lot of people will worry that they can't just step into doing something like that if they're hypermobile. They're scared that they're going to hurt themselves, but they don't necessarily have the means to like work with someone one-on-one, maybe because of budget or accessibility. I guess it depends on the person, right? Yeah. And it depends on what they're trying to do. I think if you 
are hypermobile and also your proprioception skills are not great and also the gym is kind of a new environment, I would err on the side of caution and focus on like the obvious shapes and focus on building still strength through your full range, but maybe you have to reduce your range a little bit while you're figuring that out. So for instance, if you're doing a plan and it says do some back squats and you're like, never done a back squat before, I would scale it back, maybe do some goblet squats, maybe do some box squats and scale it enough that you can do it and work hard and like feel your muscles working without it feeling really jointy. And as that gets more comfortable and you feel stronger, you can start either increasing kind of the depth, maybe by taking the bench away or by standing on something so the bench is just a little bit lower or finding a smaller bench and then slowly, slowly increasing it from there. I think the difficulty can be knowing how hard to push because if your joints are always hurting, you don't want to like go really hard and then hurt yourself and then never come back to the gym. So again, I'd say just err on the side of caution. Like if you can't afford to get someone to help you more specifically, do smaller amounts of stuff, like smaller range of stuff, smaller amounts of stuff. Sometimes just using the machines in the gym can be a really good option. Just make sure that you set it up though right because one of my clients used one of the machines the other day and ended up hurting his pet straining his pet because it wasn't set up right so if you're a hypermobile person spending time making sure that it like fits you because if it takes you further than you want to go but you can go then you'll just go and then you'll be like oh that was not good. yeah and gym machinery isn't always set up for everybody as we know um so that's just another thing to have to think about. And I, th- I think with something like that, we've got like, we're in a world where like every influencer has um, has an app or a fitness plan. And a lot of what I found is that they're all just too hard for a beginner or for someone that hasn't got a lot of gym experience. And so it's really easy to see why people are like apprehensive about hurting themselves because they've maybe gone and done one of this, like these cookie cutter plans and they've hurt themselves because it's too much. So in terms of like learning how to scale things, obviously it's a little bit more work needed, a little bit more research needed. But ultimately, if it's going to get you to know your body better, it's not going to like knock your confidence and make you never go back to the gym. Then it's, yeah, ultimately, ultimately totally worth it. And I think if you can afford to just do one or two sessions with a coach who knows what they're talking about, and you come with loads of questions, particularly if it's someone who's maybe you're doing the app program already, but you're like, mm. if you can like go and see them, even if it's just once, then you can be like, how do I make all of these things work for me? Because this is how I move. Even though it means it's a bit more expensive, it can save you a load of time and a load of headache and allow you to get much more out of your training because it can help you understand how you can then change things for yourself because understanding how to change stuff is so useful and the more you understand that the easier it then becomes to do like group programs where you're you're doing something that's not written for you personally is just kind of written for people and you can go "Mm, okay that says do this but actually I'll do this instead because this is what I need, me personally. Yeah. And scaling is something that 
no one ever talks about a lot of the time apart from in maybe like more functional fitness and crossfit spaces but even then not always and we both have our pure gym backgrounds where we've both taught classes and those classes are advertised for all abilities and watching people smash out commercial gym classes with no options with no scaling options um hurts me every time so i was always the person in the pump class like you can do this but we're also going to do this and if anyone needs to do that then that's fine as well and like giving like the spectrum of scaling options which i think no one talks about which is really hard to get across sometimes in a group format yeah and i think those things are so important because i guess what what most people don't realize especially like beginners is that there is always both a harder version and an easier version always and most of the time if like an instructor or a coach is giving you something less a coach but if like if an instructor is giving you something they're probably just giving you the version that they like uh coaches will be better right i think at giving you the version that you need but like instructors will usually give you the version that they like but there's always easier ways usually more than one that goes back and back and back and then there's always harder and harder and harder once you understand shapes in general it then allows you to look at something that you've never done before and figure out what you would actually have to change to be able to make it accessible for you and i think that just comes with practice because you could you could do it with anything and i find i end up having to do it a lot especially if i go to a class that's coached by like a cis man they're no good at scaling especially if it's like an upper body thing they think everyone has like massive shoulders and i don't have massive shoulders i'm very small so then they always just show you one version maybe a banded version but not like all the steps that you need to take to get to there because they're already someone that could just do that they have no idea what you would have to do to get to there and i think because i'm so small i've just got really good at figuring it out because no one no one ever wants to tell me i'm like well that seems impossible so let me try this and i think understanding like leverages really really helps with that yeah it's why it's why there's a million like trans mass programs that just expect that you can do a pull up or a full push up strict completely unassisted and i'm like that's bonkers that's wild cuz like most people i don't know many people who just like can do a pull up straight away most people anyway had to build up to doing them the more i guess people can see the progressions of stuff maybe the easier it will become for them to be able to figure it out for themselves when nobody's saying yeah it. 100% and it's it's why i like bang on to all of my people about telling me when something feels challenging or telling me when something feels impossible and being able to think like out of 10 like how does this actually feel and if it feels impossible then we scale if it feels easy then we scale the other way um and knowing that every movement exists on a spectrum is just so important and it's just the one thing that just never seems to get talk- talked about so so much love for that i think it's really important and hopefully people listening to this feel inspired to like pick a thing that they can't do and see if they can work out how to do it and if you pick a thing and you're listening to this and you're like how do i scale this thing and you can't figure it out you can tag me on Instagram or TikTok at superpenny and I will tell you. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time. Awesome. Thank you very much. This has been a joy.